All right. Part two, Black Dahlia. Are you ready to go? I am. I am ready. We do batch record these. So we're going to go ahead and dive into part one or part two, which I'm a little bit surprised because, you know, your bedtime's at three, right? In the afternoon? Sarcasm. Anyway. You know, babies are so cute, then they grow up. I'm just saying. This time, we don't have our cocktail because no. we had a Manhattan at the first of every show, but there's a part three. Well, not, no, and we're, we we're part two. I mean, part two. You only had a sip. We have part two because it was disgusting. No, it wasn't. It was a Manhattan. It was really good, <laughs> which was the most popular drink at the time. So, Which was at the 40s. 1947. Right. Yes. That's the um, year that the Black Dahlia was murdered. I think I just said Block Dahlia. <laughs> I believe you might have. No, actually, I feel really good. I'm surprised. Because NyQuil. I mean, if I have NyQuil, I will feel like I'm intoxicated. And I don't like being intoxicated at all. I and hate it. you had a very strong Manhattan. I'm very proud of myself, actually. For the time. I mean, it is sort of cool. That was my first cocktail ever. And it actually was not bad. Yes. I didn't like it. But well, it's sort of nice holding a glass having a cocktail. And you'll probably hear the dogs barking in the background. Okay. Now, to continue our story, mm-hmm. um, we know, and, and we're talking about this in between episodes, she was afraid of something or someone. And around December, she was scared. And she shared how scared she was with several individuals. Which so I, several, so that means she probably was scared. Yes. It wasn't just someone said. I don't think said. it was a lie. You yeah. know, because she did lie a lot. I don't think this was a lie. Now, remember, she did live a high-risk lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, The guy, Sid, okay, mm-hmm. who let Beth and her friend Marjorie stay with him for about a week, uh, he's the one that took them to the Hanson house. He said that uh, Marjorie was always drunk. Okay, so she was an alcoholic, if I'm not mistaken, from my research. And Beth always had, quote, some undesirable-looking character waiting for her outside and bringing her home. And so, again, she... But home from where? They'd probably go on dates. Remember, she was always dating different men. But again, she wasn't a prostitute. She wasn't uh, a loose person. And a lot of information in the books... Some of them say she was, mm-hmm. but I don't believe she was either. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. Your microphone's falling. I need to get you a little bit. I mean, I know you're short, but that's kind of ridiculous. Okay. So <laughs> All right. So uh, Hanson told about a time when Beth was at his house and he saw her one night sitting and crying because she was scared. And she really wanted Hanson to let her stay there, but he refused. So he might have thought she was faking it. You know, because she lied about the phone call and all the other stuff. So he probably figured she was just trying to get sympathy, but she kept telling him that she was scared. And I'm not even sure, you know, if she was doing it to try to let get him to let her back in. And again, Mark Hansen was the one that took in young girls Mm -hmm. to help them with their career. Yeah. And it seems like that was probably the best and the safest place she had to live at. Especially if there were other girls. Yeah. And Anne was there, her one of her, her friend, really good yeah. friends, who probably knew her better than anybody in California. Okay, so Hanson refused, and he gave Beth a ride home to her apartment at the Chancellor. Remember, that's the one that Anne right. got her. In a very her, bad area. Yes, and dropped her off outside. Beth hated living there because she said that there was, quote, bad company over there, and she couldn't stand it. 
She told Hansen that she was going to Oakland to visit her sister, another lie, over the holidays. And when she came back, she was going to call and see if he had changed uh, her mind. And he told police that he never saw her again. Oh, that was the last. So that really was, well, except for the killer the last time he's. I mean, he was the last person. Nope, Red was. The guy that was was married that she was hanging out with. It appears at this point in Beth's story that her only friend was Anne. And Anne had let Beth borrow her coat. And that was the same coat that she was seen wearing at the Biltmore on January 9th when she was dropped off by Red. Plus, she paid for her rent, again, at the Chancellor, uh, borrowed a car to help her move, and Anne even defended Beth. She said, quote, in the first place, she didn't drink, didn't smoke, because after all, living with her, I know, and she always came home at a decent hour, 11 o'clock or around there. She never came in later than that, and naturally, if she was supposed to be sexy and do other stuff, there's a lot more that goes to it rather than if a decent girl. There's smoking, whining, and dining, and a few other things that go with it. I don't think she was trying to be sexy in a very innocent way. That's what she said. That was a quote. It's just fascinating how she didn't have to work. Mm Mm-hmm. And all this time, years, she survived. People buying her things. And Hanson said she was more domestic than sexy. Like, she was not trying to sleep around. Mm -hmm, She wasn't mm -hmm. doing that. And she was naive, soft-spoken, and everyone said they were drawn to her. It's so It's just amazing how you can listen to someone getting through life like that. Yeah. Well, she didn't. With no money. Well, people you know, helped her. She ended up dead. Well, but yeah, yeah, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Up until then, people helped her. No problem. Yeah, it's, strangers it's let so her stay weird. the night. Wow. Now, both Anne and Hanson went to the police once they learned that the police were seeking to speak with Anne. Um, at first, they thought her name was Anne Todd, and then later they learned it was Toth with a th on the end. She shared how she met Beth, how Beth had lived there twice, and where she moved to after. Now, Hanson wasn't as forthcoming because he didn't want the press to overhear and you know anything that he said. There were 20 reporters in there at the time in the police station after they discovered you know her identity and all that. He even lied and said that he was Anne's chauffeur. Of course, once the little black book was discovered, uh, his name was out. And then Anne was last interviewed in 1950. Back to the Chancellor, okay? So the hotel Anne paid for uh, Beth to stay in. Um, The owner was Glenn Wolf, And Anne told the police that he was, quote, a sexual pervert, maniac, everything. I hate him. He even threatened to kill me once. So she lets her friend stay there. Right. Hmm. It, it appears to be a shady place, but she may have only that may have been the only place she could have found for the money. For the money, you know what I mean. Right. Um, so it was a shady place, and Wolf took advantage of them, uh, but nothing ever came during the investigation. The only reason I think that Anne would have you know paid for her was because of the cost. Now, a business card belonging to Robert S. Gessinger was discovered in Beth's belongings. He told police that he met her in October 1946 in Hollywood and had driven her to a drive-in at Sunset in Vermont. Another guy named Michael Anthony Otero claimed he dated Beth. He was from Albuquerque, which is my state, right? and had attended UCLA. He met her on Hollywood Boulevard and took her out for dinner and drove her home. She borrowed $5 on two occasions and then never paid 
back the money. Right, right. <laughs> uh, he last saw her December of 1946. Then also a Paul McWilliam worked as a movie extra and said that Beth, at the Gilmore Auto Races, he saw her shortly before her death and she told him about a Long Beach man who was very jealous of her. A Long Beach man jealous of her. Mm-hmm. What would he be jealous of her about? I'm wondering if it was more like he was jealous of her dating other men. Oh. You know what I mean? The uh, uh, the way they spoke, too, was a little different, yeah. too, than now. So now we're kind of getting a picture that there might have been, you know, some sh- obviously they're shady characters, but there might have been an individual who was jealous of her and potentially scaring her because again she said she was scared several times but it's just hard yeah, to know if it was know, truth back then you know since she was drained of all her blood there had to be a lot of blood wherever she was murdered so they investigated all these men and didn't find anything like that mm-hmm. yeah i mean unless he was like a serial killer and had an off-site place and nothing suggests that like dexter yeah Mm-hmm. Season two. I can't is on. watch that show. It's great. It's ah, it's a little it's too great. gory for me. I don't like gore. I hadn't seen the new one, but okay. The discovery. We don't like gore. No, we do a true crime podcast. Yes, with but I don't have some to gore. See it. Well, I do see you some do crime see scene photos, but they're not hers gory. Was sort of gory. Because like to me, gory is like slashing blood, flying all over the place. Or let me how you say blood. <sighs> And then you do the whole hand movement. Right. Can whole. you demonstrate? Blood. Yes. Minus Sing the- song. Yes. That's a whole another story. But yeah, so there had to be blood, a lot of blood somewhere. Mm-hmm. You can't just hide blood. Especially draining. Yeah. And it can be probably a serial killer. because they would that's what I known. mean. You know, it's like. So none of them, I think, did it. Right. They the, lo- the location, it would have to be somewhere private. It would have to be where you would have time to drain mm-hmm. the blood. The person took time with the body. Mm-hmm. She was probably dead before she was posed. You know, like she had been dead for a while before she was mm-hmm. posed. So probably someone not married. Yes. And the, well, I don't know. Well, but there were definitely a lot of things done to her post-mortem. So yeah. again. And she was tortured. Yes. So. You wouldn't be want to hear her screams. No. I don't believe it'd be any of those men. Me neither. There'd be something, blood, something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, that's why I say it's too sophisticated of a mm-hmm. murder, and there had to be a place that she could be killed um, where no one would hear her screaming. You know what I mean? Like Ted Bundy, he would rent hotel rooms and kill his victims in there because he wanted time with the victims. Mm-hmm. So he did that at least once, I think twice. I think twice. So again, it's like, you know, and he had spots where he would take them and murder them. So it was even outside, you know, like on the two that he uh, kidnapped uh, from Lake, uh, what was that? I know where where he almost killed, uh, wasn't her name Elizabeth? I don't know, I but think her anyway, name was Elizabeth, his girlfriend, Samanish or Samanish or something like that, like mm-hmm, S- mm-hmm. over in Washington, he took them to a like he would drive around and find remote areas in the forest, and he found a spot, and then took the first victim, tied her up to a tree, kept her alive, got the other victim, and then made one watch the other as he killed her because he wanted to see the terror. 
That's that's a sexual sadist. So he had to, even if it was outside, there had to be a place where he did not fear discovery and he could spend time. But yeah, and somewhere they have never found. Right. That's why I don't think it was any of the men. Yeah, that I don't we either. talked about. I don't either. But she was just so naive. Yeah, she you know, was. It was just a matter of time, she in was. my opinion, that she would get killed. Get killed. Now, a Betty Bursinger was out walking her three-year-old daughter on the morning of January fifteenth. So this is six days after she was dropped off at the Biltmore in Anne's coat. Okay, uh, she saw what she thought was a mannequin. It is never a mannequin ever. <laughs> it's, never. Just like, it's never a mannequin. But it was in Hollywood. So she and at the time it was a vacant lot there. Mm-hmm. Now now there's you know buildings and houses, but she saw what she thought was a mannequin on the west side of South Norton Avenue in the neighbor uh, neighborhood of Lemur Park. At the time, it was mostly undeveloped. There were a lot of weeds and different things. When she got closer, she recognized that it was a body. So she got the police. And, and here's the part, um, you know, the death scene and everything, um, which I've got those pictures. It's it's very disturbing. Um, so this is uh, obviously a crime scene photo. And back then, you know, the reporters could just be right, right there taking pictures. Yeah, they could walk all over the place. Yeah. So as pictures. you can see, she uh, is completely severed at the waist. She's drained of blood, or they said she lost so much blood that she was paler than normal. Uh, rigor mortis had not set in. Really? And the grass underneath her body was still wet with dew. Dew falls in the early morning hours, like around 2 a.m. So they believe that the murder was committed after 1 on January 15th, and then the body was discovered around 10. Wow. The killer washed and scrubbed her body clean. And he had no reason because there wasn't DNA. There was not DNA at the time. So, again, this is where I get back to the killer having to be sophisticated. There had to be some type of intelligence because, like you said, there would be no reason to wash and scrub her body down unless this individual knew about fibers and fingerprints and different, like, trace evidence that could be on a body. So, again, you had to be someone that had a knowledge of, number one, where to cut her, because where she was severed at the waist is where it's easiest to cut. Mm -hmm. And then they had to have some type of knowledge or understanding of forensics. I think so, too. So it wasn't just any of these guys she was with, right? It was someone that was obviously an intelligent person that recognized and understood how crimes were investigated. I mean, I think he's got to either be in the medical field of some kind, an officer maybe even. Or a white-collar professional. Yeah, a butcher, a... I'm thinking a doctor. uh I don't even think it was a medical student. This crime feels like someone that was older. Uh, It does. And maybe they were, well, you know, a clean freak. Like he scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed. Well, and they even found some brush fibers on her body. That's how they knew her body was scrubbed because there were brush fibers, which again is fascinating because forensic science was at the level it is today. So he didn't have to worry about um, DNA. So again, 
removing evidence, or like you said, a clean freak. Maybe not the removing evidence because the fibers. You didn't even know back then that fingerprints could be taken off a body. That's true. And fibers, if he cleaned her so good to layer out, he'd have to be in all plastic. Well, because even carrying her. He could get fibers on her. That's true. What I'm wondering, and this is just my, like, to me, it goes into the psychology of the killer. I I am in agreement with you. I think this murder was a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He wanted people to find the body. That's why he posed her. Yeah, his work. He wanted, yes. He wants to show He wanted off. to humiliate her mm-hmm. and make her look sexual. I wonder why. Maybe denial of sexual favors? Maybe, I don't think so. I think he... Maybe he couldn't uh, perform? I don't think it was that type of crime. I think it was someone that wanted to kill and they wanted to display their work. I think anger was involved, but I'm not sure it was anything that she did to make the killer angry. The killer was just angry. And she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because she lived such a dangerous lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. It just, to me, it's a more sophisticated, you know, work. And it's also a display of his work. But then, on the other hand, he could have known her. Because it didn't happen again. This was a one-off. This a one-off. As far as we know. Mm -hmm. So, if he was a, like a deep angry all the time killer i would think he would do it again and again and again right and he didn't right just her and so that it's like okay it has well to be personal not necessarily it could have been it was a messy job um maybe the killer died or it could be i accomplished that goal and i'm gonna move on to the next you know right i mean it really is like almost like someone trying to do art I don't know about back then, but now we know serial killers can go dormant. Yes, they can. Which is fascinating to me. Yeah, because they didn't think they could at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird deal. But um, just one, just one. That's just. So I I actually wondered if cleanliness was very important too. like, did the killer have an OCD type deal? Yeah, he probably washed his hands many times a day. House was probably spotless, I bet. Yeah. And then her arms, as you can see, were laid over her head and outward, exposing her upper torso and breast in a very provocative way. Her lower torso was close to her upper torso, and then her legs were spread apart very Mm -hmm. wide, exposing her genitalia. One breast was actually removed. Uh A portion of the other breast and other areas of her body, like her thigh and her tattoo, the rose one that she was proud of, were cut away. There were also several cuts on her face or her body, and then her face was slashed from the corners of her mouth to her ears, creating an effect Mm -hmm. known as the Glasgow smile, a practice that started in Glasgow, Scotland in the 1920s and 30s. And so there's actually an actor, which I have been there before, and that's the other murder uh, scene Mm -hmm. picture. Look at all those reporters and cops. I mean, and look at all the. They're all together, but you trampling can, over the uh, yeah, and you can see all the weeds, right? Like it looks, it's just a weedy, vacant lot, mm-hmm, like you would expect. Mm-hmm. But then see the houses back there. That's going to be very important uh, in our story. Um, but there's an actor, this guy, his name is Tommy Flanagan. 
those scars are the Glasgow smile that was done to him. Really? Mm-hmm. He was attacked outside of a bar, uh, a bar there in uh, mm. Glasgow, Scotland. Um, okay, so back to the crime scene. Uh, let's see. I can't remember what that picture is of. I think they found some evidence close by. Looks like clothing. Mm-hmm. And clothing, there's blood. Maybe? There's definitely blood on there. It could be sheets because, you know, he had to, well, no, because she wasn't bleeding unless it was leakage after it cleaning. It might be in my notes what that is. Maybe it's the sheet he wrapped her in Because it looks like the drainage, you know, like on a sidewalk from yeah, the street. yeah. And uh, the cops are pulling something that looks like sheets out of there. Mm. Okay, uh, let's see. Her intestines were tucked neatly underneath her buttocks. So again, posing the body like it's a work of art. The autopsy revealed ligature marks on her ankles, wrists, and neck. Her body was cut in uh, half using a technique taught in the 1930s called a hemicorporectomy. Basically, you cut through the body at the second and third lumbar vertebrae, severing the intestine and the du- at the duodenum. There was very little bruising at, along the incision, suggesting she was severed in half after she died. See, I think it had to be someone in the medical field. I think there had to I be sure either a medical that. student or medical field, some type mm-hmm. of knowledge. Mm-hmm. She had, quote, a gaping laceration four and a half inches long, that was just above her pubic area. And you can actually see that in this picture right here. Mm-hmm. That right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the skull was not mm-hmm. fractured, but there was bruising on the right side of her scalp and some bleeding indicating she was hit on the head. Her cause of death were the 2.5 inch lacerations on each side of her mouth and shock from the blows to her head and face. Her anal canal was dilated, indicating that she was raped. Samples were taken, but no presence of sperm. Before or after her death? I don't know. So she was sodomized. I just can't believe someone as sick as that would only do that one time. I know. It is hard to believe. Mm -hmm. I mean, because that's bad. Mm -hmm. And they actually did have other uh, murders in L.A. where bodies were uh, cut in half, but none like this. Not like that. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, she was identified by her fingerprints from that 1943 arrest. So actually, it's a pretty quick identification. Now, this is aggravating. So her mother found out about her death from reporters that first got as much personal information from her that they could. Mm-hmm. Then they told her that her daughter was married. The newspaper was uh, I mean murdered. Mur- the news- I, I read that. Yeah, that's I pretty that was sorry. And that's what they did back then. Um, and probably today. The newspaper right. was the Los Angeles Examiner and they sent reporters uh, they called basically and offered to pay her airfare to LA to keep her from the police to get more of a scoop. The Examiner and the sister paper, L.A. Herald Express, sensationalized the case and said she was last seen wearing a tight skirt and a sheer blouse and that she prowled uh, Hollywood Boulevard and she was called a sex fiend. And then later, the, um, they, she was labeled the Black Dahlia. Now, they say that the media labeled her that. Actually, they didn't. It was a lady that worked at a drugstore. And she said, you know, y'all ought to call her the Black Dahlia because she loved the movie The Blue Dahlia. 
And how would that lady know that? They were friends. Oh. So all of that was a lie. She was not prowling. She was not a sex no. fan. Mm-mm. She went um, tremendous torture and terror before her death. She was mutilated and then humiliated by being posed in the most public setting. Okay, now the investigation. Now we got another Hanson coming up. Okay, so you got the Hanson that she lived with Mark. off and on. But now we have Sergeant Henry Hanson and his partner, uh, Finis, fin, Finis, Finis, I don't know, Brown. They were the original homicide detectives assigned to the case. They first interviewed those closest to her that they could find, which was a bit difficult because she knew a lot of people, but she wasn't close to hardly any of them. I know. When they interviewed her father, it didn't go well. Uh, the detective said, quote, we went up there and first time we saw him, we ever saw him knocked and knocked and knocked on the door and finally aroused him and we found him to be in a drunken stupor. We found wine bottles all over the place. He was very uncooperative, especially in view of the fact that after all, his daughter had been murdered. They played good cop and bad cop, but nothing came of it. And I personally do not believe he had anything to do with it because no. this was not the work of a drunk, no. but he was obviously He's not, wasn't an that idiot. clean and one, he wasn't yeah. that smart. Yeah, there's no, no way. Now, what I'm about to say will probably irritate some people because back then, you know, people like Elizabeth that lived, you know, couch to couch and they were loafing around and things like that were very frowned upon by that generation. Right. Yeah, it's true. And it was also a very sexist time as well. Women should get married and have children and, you know, leave mm-hmm. it to Beaver and all that stuff, right? And by society, she could have been labeled a prostitute because of the way she lived, even though she wasn't. Could have. In the 40s, you just didn't yeah, act could've. like that. Unless you were a prostitute. Yeah. From books and things I've read. Yeah. But she wasn't. That's the thing. I know. And then, um, so he said, Sergeant Hansen, that she liked to tease men. She probably went too far this time and just set some guy off into a blind berserk rage. That does not fit this crime. The killer was not in a blind berserk mm-hmm. rage. So he was too exact. Yeah, slow. There's no way he was. In he a took rage. pleasure in torturing yeah. this young girl. If it's a rage, it'd be it'd, it'd be messy, sloppy. It I do be. think think anger was a a reason right. because sexual sadists are very angry. Mm-hmm. Um, but the anger was more in ruining her face. Um, posing her in a humiliating way. And again, it's clear work of a sexual sadist who only feels pleasure by seeing fear and inflicting pain. I, you know, the picture I'd seen of her before, that cut was almost like clown-like. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Like a clown. Yeah. And it's meant to ruin to the make person's her appearance. And yes. make her humiliated. And, oh, that's terrible. And... Some suggest that maybe the person was from Scotland, that, well, you know, that they traveled here and they killed her. And then the reason there were no murders like that here is because the killer was from Scotland and went back. Why would they think he was from Scotland? There were some, um, com- there were some similar cases in Scotland. Similar mm-hmm. or exact? And I don't know if they were that, exact. That killer is exact. But, uh... True Crime Garage, they got into that. Really? It was either them or the Murder Squad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. It might have been the Murder Squad, actually, when they did the Black, Do- Black Dahlia. Uh, now, the killer was very methodical, in my opinion. Right. Calculated. In addition, 
posing her, being proud of the work. That's not a rage killing. That's why I would think if he did kill anymore in Scotland or Hollywood, it'd be exact. And then this because makes... Because he's so picky and meticulous. And it makes and, me wonder if this person has killed before. So again, they either had to be very good at killing, and they were a ser- serial killer, and maybe not from this country, or they were highly intelligent. That's the only thing I can go with, because this is a very interesting first kill. I'm going with highly intelligent. Yeah, I'm thinking that too. Um, He went on to say she didn't seem to have any goals or standards. She never had a job at any time that she lived in L.A. She was obviously low IQ, he said. Who is this, the sergeant? Yep, lived hand to mouth, day to day. Uh, They found out the uh, victim. Yeah, they found out, and this is still him going, they found out during the autopsy that her teeth were full full of cavities. She had filled them up with candle wax. She was a man-crazy tramp, but she wasn't a prostitute. Yeah, he did say that. There were all kinds of men in her life, but we were able only to find three who had any sexual experience with her. She was a tease. She gave a bad time to quite a few guys. She just asked for trouble. There wasn't much to like about her. Huh. So assassinate the victim all over again. Yep. Some thought she was... He seems to have a problem with women himself. Again, it was a time, too, though. Right, right. Um, Some thought she was a lesbian because of how she would tease men and then say no. But none of this is substantiated, and I don't believe that that was true. I don't need um, A grand jury convened to, quote, discuss inadequacies in the LAPD's homicide unit based on their failure to solve numerous murders at the time, especially those of women and children. In the past several years, Shorts, Shorts or Beth, was one of them. On January 21st, 1947, a person claiming to be her killer placed a phone call to James Richardson, the editor of The Examiner, congratulating Richardson on the coverage of the case. He said that he would eventually turn himself in, but he wanted the police to pursue him for a while. So now we got cat and mouse game. That is Unless it was a hoax. Maybe. I don't think it was. I mean, did he have proof who he was? Well, he this is what he and it reminds me of Raider. Dennis Raider. Oh yeah, he was so he promised to send some quote souvenirs of Beth Short in the mail so he uses the name she prefers to go by Beth right and then he promises to send some things of hers in the mail so that intrigued me that he used her preferred name and then not long after a manila envelope addressed to the LA examiner and other LA papers with individual words cut out from a newspaper clipping along with a large message that read, here is Dahlia's belonging, let to follow, arrived at the post office. So I'm reading that exactly as it was written. Now this arouses suspicion the postal worker and authorities were called. Best birth certificate, business cards, photographs, 
names written on pieces of paper, and the address book belonging to Mark Hansen were inside the envelope, along with 21 other items. Okay, so here's the list. There was a Western Union telegram regarding a missing trunk shipped via Railway Express Agency Express receipt dated June 1st. Remember that? 1946. So her trunk went missing. Uh, and so that was in there. Part of a sales slip printed in Eek, uh, pass, uh, Pacific Outdoor Advertising Company, a business card uh, from the Pacific Outdoor Advertising Company, uh, another business card for someone named A.D. Bricks, another one for E.A. Jack Kleinman, which was the house of a Hollywood realtor, a typewritten Social Security card signed with her name in green ink, a piece of notebook paper with Jimmy Harrigan's Army base phone number, a torn piece of note paper with Carl Balsiger Balsiger's phone number, notebook leaf printed in pencil Jimmy Bifulcal Bifulco, a scrap of paper with Wayne Gregg written in ink, ID card Elizabeth Short in case of emergency contact PM Short, abstract of uh, record registry city of Boston that said Elizabeth Short daughter of. A card from the Hollywood Wolves, Asso- Wolves Association with member Chet Montgomery. Another business card for a Brant Orr with a personal note. He was a realtor. A Pacific Greyhound Lines parcel claim check stamp dated January 9th, the last day she was mm-hmm. uh, seen. Once a small snapshot of an aviator and a girl in a cockpit of a plane. And one small sh- snapshot of a girl in black fur jacket, black hat, buildings, and background. There was also a photo of a man in an army uniform standing near a tree in a framed house in the background. And then a small snapshot of victim and man, which I showed you those pictures. And then a small snapshot aviator in fly suit and parachute standing in front of a plane. And then a woman dressed in a riding habit standing next to a horse. Hmm. Now back to the address book. Several pages were torn out. wonder if his was in there. Some of the notes that were in there were written in Beth in her handwriting, three or four pages written in another hand. And so it might have been Hansen's. But why were the pages torn out? Well, something to show who it was. Or That's what I'm wondering. Or did she tear them out because she didn't need them in there? What's interesting, though, is, you know, the letter that or the package that went to the reporter, DNA now, I wonder... I'm I'm sure the they envelope? didn't keep any of that stuff. I don't know. Now. Because murder cases don't expire, right? No. But you would think if there was DNA on the envelope, they would have gotten it. So it's no. either the envelope's missing or it was degraded, mm. maybe? Mm. Okay. Some the, police stations... Oh, are, here it is. What? Okay, the packet had been cleaned with gasoline, Oh. So the killer puts all that stuff in there and then douses it with gasoline, probably to get rid of fingerprints. Oh. But the police were able to get partial fingerprints, and they were sent to the FBI, but they were compromised in transit oh. and couldn't be analyzed. Ah. On the same day, a handbag and a black suede shoe were found on top of a garbage can in an alley two miles from where her body was discovered. These had also been cleaned with gasoline, destroying any fingerprints. Why would you go through that to keep all that stuff? Again, it's a game. Yeah, it has to be. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And so these items were identified as belonging to Beth. So again, that's why I say they are a careful, calculated mm-hmm. killer, right? So this is um, something even stranger that I got from Wikipedia that I didn't know about. On March 14th, an apparent suicide note scrawled in pencil on a bit of paper was found tucked in a shoe in a pile of men's clothing by the ocean's edge at the foot of Breeze Avenue, Venice. The note read, To whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia murder, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. I don't know. I mean, if you're that proud to do what you did, you're proud. And you want right. the whole world to see. Yeah. And that's all you write. Yeah. I don't believe it. I'm thinking it's probably a hoax. Yeah. The pile of clothing was first seen by a bit. I almost said B-I-T-C-H. <laughs> Beach. Beach. <laughs> a beach caretaker who reported the discovery to John Dillon, lifeguard captain. Dillon immediately notified Captain L.E. Christensen of the West Los Angeles Police Station. The clothes included a coat and trousers, a blue herringbone tweed, a brown and white shirt, white jockey shorts, tan socks, and tan moccasin leisure shoes, leisure shoes size about eight. The clothes, clothing gave no clue about the identity of their owner. So I'm like you. I don't think that was the actual killer. Because no. uh, he doesn't want to no, get caught. No. And besides that, if it was and he was really remorseful, which I doubt he was. I bet he just died of old age. He would have put detail in there. He would have bragged about what he did. Well, and not only that, but... And he wouldn't a, sign it Mary. Well, typical... No, he said, sorry, Mary. Oh, like, sorry, Like he Mary. was speaking to someone. But like a typical, oops, sexual sadist, um, they don't have a conscience. I don't see him apologizing. No, I don't either. But I do see him bragging more about Me the too. act. Yeah. I mean, because he... Well, and there is no way this killer would commit suicide. I'm sorry. No. They're too prideful. No, no. He was having too much fun. Uh, really, these type of killers don't commit suicide unless they want to control the narrative, like mm-hmm. Brian Laundry and Israel Keys. And boy, did I call that Brian Laundry? Mm-hmm. I was immediately the guy mm-hmm. did it, and mm-hmm. immediately he killed himself. And everybody's like, "Oh no, he's in Mexico." Even John Wash, mm-hmm. Wash on that, mm-hmm. you know, his son thought that, yeah, yeah, thought that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. He wanted to control the story. Mm-hmm. He didn't want it to get out. It's going to be on his his way. Yep. His now, terms. It's obvious that Elizabeth was not murdered at the lot. You know, we probably right. know that. The killer would need a private area to do all of his work. Detectives thought that she was murdered in a remote building or shack. I'm not sure why they thought that, but they might have just been thinking the same thing we are. You know, he, it had to be somewhere. But there'd still be a lot of blood. They and served, after all these years, there's nothing. Yeah. They also felt the precise mm-hmm. cuts and dividing of the body indicated someone with medical knowledge. Mm-hmm. They served a warrant to the University of Southern California Medical School, which was located near her body, and went through a complete list of the program students, but nothing came of it. Okay, so now we're going to dive into the suspects, okay? Mm-hmm. So the notoriety of Best Murder caused a lot of confessions over the years. Many were verified as false, but just into the investigation, police received 60 confessions. 
Since then, over 500 people have confessed, including some that weren't even alive at the time. Right. Hello. (laughs) Okay, Hanson was a suspect right off the bat. At the time of Best Murder, he was a successful businessman originally from Denmark. Mm-hmm. He moved to the U.S. in 1919. He was about 55 when Beth lived at his home. He was only 5'9". He weighed 175 pounds with graying hair and an accent. He had stooped soldiers and walked Oops, and walked with measured steps. In spite of Ann and others saying he really liked her, he said that he thought she was fair-looking average if it wasn't for her teeth. She had bad teeth. Other than that, she would have been beautiful, he said. In spite of his denials, Leo, now I'm bringing Leo in. This is Anne's boyfriend. Remember her friend, right. Anne? Said that he was crazy about her. Not Leo, but Hanson. Was crazy about her and jealous of her. That he is a man who must have what he wants. Beth told Anne that she had to leave her boyfriends at the corner so Hanson wouldn't see them because he was so jealous. So why did he lie about his interest? See, I don't think I don't. Or think did is. they exaggerate, or Beth lie? He, he's he's a messy person. I mean, mentally. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's sort of all over and all the anger. I don't think that's from a messy well, person. I don't know. I don't think he's not that Hansen neat and tidy and that, not not messy like in your place where you live, but a messy thinking, like. Anger, anger, a lot of anger, thoughts, With jealousy. Hansen? Mark. Yeah, I didn't think he was that messy in his thinking. You don't? Mm-mm. I mean, the anger and the, I, I just don't think he. No, I think he had a reason to be angry because she was lying about the phone calls. Right, but I don't right. think he did it. No, yeah, I, don't I don't think either. he did it. I don't think he's as precise as that that murder was. Do you? I don't know because he was a successful businessman. So he had to have yeah. intelligence. Right. Um, now, but he brought young while she was young. I don't think so. He, um, Leo and his boyfriend had witnessed the argument between the jealous blonde and Beth that ended up in Beth getting kicked out. Leo didn't actually like Beth that much. He said he caked on her makeup, dyed her hair black, had bad teeth and just didn't look attractive. He did like Hanson a lot though. He said, what a guy. He's fantastic. Now, he did recall, and he shared in 1950, a trip Hansen made in January 1947 to Long Beach. Remember she said that right. someone? Okay. This is from the website Black Dahlia in Hollywood. It says, this is the only thing I've always been thinking about, even back in 1946. Mark called from Long Beach saying he was staying out at Van Dersteen's house, or it was right around the time she was killed. Now, he was someplace in Long Beach because he never got back that night. Bernardus Vanderstein was a businessman and chairman of the board of directors of the Pig and Whistle restaurants. Mr. Vanderstein and his wife, Iris Vanderstein, knew Mark Hansen socially and entertained him and his friends in their home in Redondo Beach. At the time of the Long Beach trip, Hansen was in negotiations with Vanderstein to increase Vanderstein's interest in the Florentine Gardens. The purpose of the trip was to celebrate the opening of the new Crest Theater in Long Beach. After the opening and the showing of a new movie, Charlie Scourus threw a party at the Long Beach Hilton. The party broke up around 2. He said he was going over to see Vanderstein in Long Beach and then called about 10 o'clock, I guess, or 10.30. Said he was going to stay out there, wasn't coming home back that night. 
It was right around that time. In fact, I asked Anne a lot of times if she ever recalled whether it was two or three days before or right at that particular time. I know I recall I was there. After the party broke up at two, Mark Hansen and Mel Friend followed the Vandersteens to their home. It was a very foggy morning, and Vandersteen first said that Hansen spent the night at his home and left early morning. Now, later, Vandersteen told police, now this is around March of 1950, that he couldn't remember if Hansen stayed that night or not. But what stood out to Leo and Anne was the fact that Hansen rarely stayed away, and he never came home that night. I can see him being a stalker of her because she was scared of somebody. I just don't see him for the murder. But he didn't live at Long Beach, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't live there. Mm -hmm. And he was later uh, cleared. Right. Yeah. True. Now, the next suspect was a Uh doctor. Oh. Walter Bailey. That raised... Oh, yeah. I've heard of him. We might get into him. I think he's the one that um, I want to get into at the end uh, of our um, parts on this one. He was accused of impregnating Beth, but the autopsy did not show that she was pregnant. Hanson and then Robert Red uh, Manley, the married man, Bugsy Siegel, and George Hodel, Hodel's friend Fred... Sexton and others, including another doctor, Francis E. Sweeney, were all suspects, but nothing ever stuck. The I doctors mean, are interesting. Bugsy Siegel. He was a murderer. He wasn't a killer. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? Yes. Where he would be that precise. He was a brute versus right. an artist, if you yeah, can use the term loosely. Yeah. Um, so nothing ever stuck. No fingerprints, no fibers. DNA wasn't a deal at the time. Uh, you know, so basically... There's nothing. Some have linked her death to the Cleveland Torso murders that uh, occurred between 1934 and 1938. This still unidentified killer dismembered 12 victims and disposed of their remains in an impoverished neighborhood called Kingsbury Run. There are a lot of bars, gambling dens, brothels, and uh, vagrants. And although the killer dismembered his victims and could be similar this was a dissection, which is different to me. Uh-huh. Huh? I think so, too. I'm going to say no to that. Yeah, because the victims also were usually decapitated while mm-hmm. they were alive. And yeah, and she wasn't. He killed both men and women. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I don't think it yeah. was him. Uh, in 1974, police discounted any relationship to the two cases. And then in 1980, new uh, evidence implicated former suspect... Jack Anderson Wilson, a.k.a. Arnold Smith, in the Torso Murders. And a Detective St. John was going to arrest Wilson for Bess murder, but then he died in a fire February 4th, 1982. Who and did? The, the killer. detective or the killer? Well, or he was, was it the detective? Killer. It might have been the detective. I'm not sure, but I don't know why St. John thought that. I don't know why he came up with that scenario. I'd be interested to know what kind of evidence they have. In her case still. Then a lady named Jean French was discovered badly beaten and nude on February 10th, 1947. So this is just a little less than a month after her. Uh Written on her stomach in lipstick was F-U-B-D. F, obviously, fully spelled out. Right. Uh, And many thought that it was connected to the Black Dahlia, but it was actually um, PD for police department, not BD. There really wasn't anything that connected her murder to uh, Beth. She wasn't dissected. She was beaten. And it was obviously a rage killing. 
Then George Hodel. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think George Hodel did it. What's your I, your thoughts? Is that the one that his son? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think he did that. I don't either. I thought, I think the son really believes. I do too that he did it, but I do not think he well, did that. Well, not only that. that, but then his son was like saying he did all these other murders. Like he, it was like he yeah. was the greatest serial killer of all time. Maybe if he would have stopped at the one, it'd be something you could consider. But even uh, the podcast, uh, the captain and Nick. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of well, the podcasts don't even think there was just no and evidence. The Root of Evil podcast, which is very interesting, by the way, I has heard some it. relatives of Hodel. And they think that he did it too. I don't. I think I don't he was either. a pervert, and I think he needed to go in jail for molestation and stuff like that. But I'm not sure he did it. However, I don't think so. he was definitely a strong suspect for a while for me. But the more I look at it, the more I'm not sure. Yeah. Now, police came to consider George Hodel Jr. a suspect after the 1947 murder of Elizabeth Short. Now, this is from Wikipedia. He was never formally charged. And he came to wider attention as a suspect after his death when he was accused by his son, L.A. homicide detective Steve Hodel. Uh, prior to the Dahlia case, he was also a suspect in the death of his secretary, Ruth Spaulding. But he wasn't charged. Didn't that happen at his house? I don't know. I think it did. Yeah, I it remember vaguely something about the about it at the house. He was also, um, oh, I already read that. He was also accused of raping his own daughter, Tamar, but acquitted. He fled the country several times, and he spent 1950 to 1940 in the Philippines. So, again, you can listen to The Root of Evil. It shows very clearly he was a sexual deviant. Yeah. But I don't don't see any connection. I don't either. Now, the February 10th, 1947 murder of Gene French in Los Angeles was, you know, again, considered to be connected to Schwartz. Um, Wait a minute. So, how was the secretary murdered? I don't know. Because... If it was him, I would think it'd be similar. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was. Mm-mm. If I remember correctly, I think it was in the house. I could be wrong, listeners, so don't, you know, and get again, all upset. But they they try to connect him also to the, you know, kill kill of Suzanne Degnan in Chicago, the lipstick killer case. I mean, they say that William Hirons went all the way to California and killed Elizabeth Short. I mean, there's may, so many far-fetched he, Yeah, he may have killed other women. But I don't think he killed Elizabeth. I don't either. Um, okay. Now, I want to read. All right. I used to want to read Steve Hodel's book, but I, I changed my mind after researching this case because I think it'd be a waste of time mm-hmm. because I don't agree. Well, his outlook's sort of interesting. But another reason that they were looking at him is because Hodel loved and was fascinated by surrealist art. And he was best friends with one of the artists, um, Man Ray. Surrealism art, quote, depicts unnerving, illogical scenes and developed techniques to allow the unconscious mind to express itself. It was an attempt, uh, it was an attempt, attempt, some say, to resolve the contradictory conditions of dream and reality into a surreality. Um, so here's some of the art. It's really weird. Like we've got a deer with the head of a man with all these arrows and blood. Um, we've got heads that basically look like women's breasts on the back of them. 
Uh, and you can Google, but that one's now disturbing. That one really. So it's like a man that looks like his mouth is wide open, like he's yawning with looks black like a mask. and then black eyes. Um, now, this is the picture that Steve Hodell thought was the Black Dahlia that he found among his dad's possessions. That doesn't look anything like her to me. You know, when you first glance, it does. But when you look at her, it do- no, it does not. Her face is fuller. Mm-hmm. Her lips are fuller. Mm-hmm. Her nose is nothing like. Mm-mm. And the hair sure isn't. Her hair was very soft looking, jet black, curly. Yeah. I don't well, see even it. the eyebrows, like, see how they don't come oh, out? Yeah. Like, if you look at the yeah. black dahlias, they're very close to her eyes. Like, mm-hmm. she has like a hooded mm-hmm. eye effect, and they go out very, very wide. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think no, that's the girl. I don't think so either. Okay. Now, Hodel was also. Well, okay, so let me go back to that, though. Mm-hmm. If you look at the reason they were thinking it might be Hodel is because there's actually art of the upper torso that was very popular with um, surrealist art. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I know, but I still don't think he did it. Yeah. I think it was a coincidence, don't you? I do. And then Hodel was also into a Marquis de Sade a French nobleman, revolutionary politician and writer, famous for his writings on sexuality. He was philosophical on his views of sex and depicted, quote, sexual fantasies with an emphasis on violence, suffering, anal sex, crime, and blasphemy against Christianity. In fact, sadism and sadist are derived from his name. Really? And Hodel loved his works. Wow. Yeah, he was a poop bird. Oh, worse. Yeah, so he's a doctor, he's a pervert, he's a psychopath. He had the temperament for the crime. So he's definitely not, I would say, 100% off my list. But he killed his secretary. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious to know how he killed her, if mm-hmm. her body was staged. Yeah, because and if, if anybody knows about like that, this, maybe post it on our Facebook yeah. Outline yeah. of a murder. Because if you know murder, anything if, about yeah. how she died, I would love to know that Because you can't find anything about her. Ruth Spalding. I just remember I thought he had killed her in, in his house. But I don't know. Yeah. I've read a couple of books on on Elizabeth Short years ago. I, I just can't remember, but I'd be curious to know how he how she died. Yeah. The Me secretary. Too. What yeah. was her name? Ruth Spalding, because the secretary of George Hodel. I would think it would be similar, or something similar. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything else. But that's kind of like some of the pieces. You know, this picture, which I don't think was her at all. No. But the art, the way she was posed, and I thought I had that picture of how she was posed, looking like that art. But um, I don't. I don't have it right here. Okay, now. The lies that Beth told further complicated things. She told the French is that she was a, a millinery, M-I-L-L-I-N-E-R-Y. What the heck is that? A model in Hollywood. She wrote to Fickling saying she was leaving for Chicago with a dress model agent named Jack. The French said that Dorothy told them that Red Manley, the married guy, worked in a San Diego airline office, which, you know, she didn't. Or he didn't. And then she told Red that she worked at Western Airlines in San Diego, which she didn't. Her own mother thought that she worked at a naval hospital in San Diego. 
I mean, it's just, man, all these things really complicate it. And then, of course, you know, she didn't drink, didn't smoke, etc. I'd now, be curious to know how her sisters are. Me too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, Red Manley, he's the married guy. Right. Okay. Here's his account of meeting her. He said that in San Diego, visiting his accounts, he recalled, I saw Miss Short standing on a corner across from the Western Airlines. I looked at her and decided to try and pick her up. I asked her if she wanted a ride. She turned her head and wouldn't look at me. I talked some more. I told her who I was and what I did and so forth. Finally, she turned around and asked me if I didn't think it was wrong to ask a girl on a corner to get in my car. Is it like, you know, see what I mean? Yeah, she was. It doesn't sound like she was like, sure, you know, like just happy go lucky. Yeah, I'll just get in there. (laughs) Right. She was cautious. Right. I said, yes, but I'd like to take you home. And so she got in the car. Red drove her to the home of Elvira French, where they sat in the car and made plans for him to take her out to dinner. Bess said she she would tell the Frenches that he worked, she worked with Red at Western Airlines. He had a date with her again at the airline office where Bess said she worked. Manley showed up, but she wasn't there. I asked two or three people and they didn't know her, and I didn't think she worked there then. They stayed in contact, and on January 7th, they agreed to meet. She asked me to drive her to Los Angeles. I told her I had to make some business calls. But she put her baggage in my car and said she would take a bus that night. He took her out for drinks that evening and later got a motel room for the night. The LA Times quoted a witness saying both Miss Short and her companion were in a jolly mood, joking as a companion loaded the uh, suitcases into the automobile. Jemison asked Red if he knew how she got to San Diego. He said, no, I don't remember her saying how she got down there. She, did she talk about any murders you had been reading about in the papers, anything about that? No, in fact, she talked very little on the way to L.A., and I wasn't in a very talkative mood. I don't know what was the matter with her. It didn't make a difference to me. I was just glad to get rid of her. Oh. Red dropped her off at the Biltmore Hotel in downtown L.A. on January 9th under the assumption that she was going to see her sister, Virginia West, Which at the hotel. Which she never did. Yep. Yeah. He waited briefly. And at about 6.30, drove off to resume his life. Later, he added to the story, now get this, said that she had scratches on both her arms above the elbows on the outside. She supposedly told him that she had a boyfriend who was insanely jealous. Here we go again with the boyfriend. An Italian with black hair that lived in San Diego. He also said that when he was driving to Biltmore, Beth would frequently turn around in her seat and look back at the hmm. cars they had passed. He also said she was sick at the in the Mecca Motel before they left. He said, quote, well, she didn't even care to have me do much talking after we got her back to the room after we had been dancing. She just took a blanket off the bed, propped her legs up against the wall by the heater, and I asked her what was the matter, and she said she didn't feel well and for me to leave her alone, so I did, and she didn't talk much more after that. She said it was just that time of the month and she wanted to be left alone. They had been at the Hacienda Club in Mission Valley where she danced with him and with the band vocalist. During the motor trip to Los Angeles, Red said she was constantly looking back at cars that passed on the right. And then, if I'm not mistaken, cars would pass us, but I noticed mainly on cars I would pass. She would strain her neck and look like this toward the rear of the car. Red drove his Studebaker from San Diego with a stop in Encinitas, Mm-hmm. where he had a new account and where they had hamburgers. The next stop was Laguna Beach, where Beth used the restroom and Red purchased gasoline. 
From the beginning, before they left San Diego, Beth told Red that she would be meeting her sister, Mrs. Adrian West, from Berkeley at the Biltmore. But when they reached Los Angeles, she wanted to check her things in at the Greyhound bus station first. Remember, there was a ticket. Right, yeah. According to newspapers report, newspaper reports, Beth's luggage consisted of a hat box, a suitcase, and a small bag. She told Red he could leave her there. No trunk? Mm-mm. She told me, led me to believe that she hadn't been in Los Angeles before, and I told her it was a bad part of town, and I better take her to the Biltmore, and I told her to stay away from that part of town. So he dropped her off at the Biltmore, where she used a restroom, while he checked at the desk for her sister, Mrs. Oh. Adrian West, but there was no record of her. And so he said goodbye and left. She was wearing a black suit without a collar, a fluffy white gla- blouse, white gloves, nylons, high-heeled suede shoes, and a full-length beige, co- beige coat that Anne had let her borrow. She used the pay phones and the ladies' room, and then after a while, um, he left and then she left. He said once the murder became public, he said he turned sick inside and knew he was in a heck of a mess. Oh, no. His wife found out when the police showed up at oh, her house. Oh, yeah. Again, he was cleared. He died January 9th, 1986, three years, or 39 years to the day he left Beth at the Biltmore. 39 years. He died January 9th. That's crazy. Is that not crazy? Now, other lies were circulated that she worked at a bar, which happened to be closed at the time that Beth moved to California, you mm-hmm. know, again, mm-hmm. prostitute yes. and all that stuff. Okay. The Crown Jewel cocktail room is important. According to some reports, the Crown Jewel was a favorite drinking spot for Beth and her friends, including Marjorie and Anne. Anne said she didn't drink, so maybe she had sodas there. But the bar was only two blocks from where she was discovered. There were conflicting reports that she was there or wasn't there the night she disappeared. One of the bartenders, Joe Scalise, was a murder suspect because of his reputation of being high-tempered with any woman who refused to date him after closing. Beth was last seen alive walking toward the Crown Jewel the night she disappeared. When he was questioned, he seemed very nervous and said, yes, her body was found right over there, pointing toward the crime scene eight blocks away. He said, I was sleeping in a room right across the hall at the time. I believe he was referring to the Biltmore and maybe he was sleeping across the hall from her. But remember, she mentioned a jealous Italian boyfriend. Right. Her propensity to lie. What if they weren't boyfriend or girlfriend, but she just brought up and thought of him and said he was Italian? Yeah, exactly. So some of her lies may just be connected to people she's seen, things she's yep. heard. Yep. Yeah. Now. It's amazing she could keep up with all that stuff. Yeah. Now, Leo, Anne's boyfriend. Right had an office on the corner close to the crown and was there a lot, but said that he never saw Elizabeth there, though she was a regular. What we do know is she stayed at the Biltmore for several hours and then walked out to Olive Street and headed south in direction of the bar. By herself. That was the last time anybody saw her. One Robert Buddy Lagore said that he saw her January 10th at the Four Star Grill wearing a a stained, soiled, and crumpled sheer black dress and no stockings. But that's not true. 
She no, was not wearing no, those clothes. No. She was wearing, even though she didn't have a job, she wore only the highest quality mm-hmm. nylons. And her hair um, you know, and lipstick were mm-hmm. you know, straggled and mm-hmm. smeared. That was not Beth. No. So I don't believe that was her. I don't think it was either. I think he just wanted her to be so bad. You now, know what I mean? Yes. But this is because weird. Because he did every interview. And yeah. He just really or, wanted Now, sometimes, you know, eyewitness reports, they're not the best. You know what I mean? Like no, People think not. they see people and it's not. But no, uh, in criminal justice classes, they have people see the same thing mm-hmm. and then ask them, what did you see? Right. And every one of them's different. Yep. Yeah. Now, get this. This is interesting. I had never heard this, which maybe, you know, again, if you know all about the Black Dahlia, you probably have. But this is weird. There does seem to be a valid lead of Elizabeth with two other women driving a black, excuse me, coupe who were coming out of the Taboo Club on Sunset Strip in Hollywood. And in late January, a man came forward and said that he overheard Beth and two women talking in a coupe on Sunset Boulevard, Boulevard January 10th as well. Now, we don't know... Like, they're saying her time of death was actually the 15th. No, yeah, the 15th, right? Right. So we don't know, was she alive between the 9th and the 15th? So, basically... uh, But that's an eyewitness that just said he saw her with two women. It gets better. So C.J. Williams, a barman at the Dugout Cafe who knew Beth... Mm -hmm. Um, said he also saw her January 11th, oh. 1947, and that she had come in with an attractive blonde female. Okay, so we've got two, she, she's with two women, and then we have her with an attractive blonde female. Another person, Paul Simone, a painting contractor, said that about 5 p.m. on January 11th, he witnessed two women arguing in a doorway at the rear of the chancellor. He said that it was Beth and another woman. There were also other reports that said similar things. On January 11th, another witness, a gas station attendant working at the Beverly Hills Hotel, said he saw Beth at 2.30 a.m. in Beverly Hills in a car with a male driver and another woman. She seemed very upset and frightened. The attendant described the automobile as a 41 or 42 tan Chrysler Coupe. Police officer R.L. Gray reported that the attendant said a man about 30 years old, 6 foot 1 in height, and weighing 190 pounds, got out, asked for gas. In the back seat were two women. One could hardly be seen, but the other, the attendant insisted, was Beth Short. He identified her by photo. Oh. Then, on January 9th, between midnight and 1 in the morning, the telephone at Mark Hansen's house began ringing about every five minutes. When Mark answered, there was silence. The calls were annoying Anne in the other room, who said, "Let me answer the phone." And took, uh, she, or Anne said she took it into my bedroom, and the same thing continued for about half an hour. So finally, I was disgusted with it. I took it off the hook for a little bit, and then when I put it back, it did the same thing again. And I picked up and I said, you so-and-so, whoever is on the other end of the line, I'm going to report this to the superintendent of the telephone company, and I will have this call traced immediately. So I took it off the hook, pretended, pretending I had been calling in the meantime so there would be a busy s- signal. Oh, and I left it off hook about three minutes, I would say. 
So when I put it back on the hook again, I couldn't hear a word after that. So I either scared them, you know, but it was no more. Then, well, okay. Okay, go ahead. So, so you're saying, do you think this woman killed Elizabeth no. Short? Because I don't think so either. But I find it interesting that we've got a male and a female. And sometimes sexual sadists run with a partner. They will force a woman to kill with them. But Beth wasn't real confrontational. Person. No, no. And it doesn't say that she was necessarily, right. it was, you know, being aggressive. aggressive yeah. But there was definitely an argument at a place where she's been seen. Then, John Jeradek described as a one-time jockey, knew Beth from her days at Camp Cook. According to newspaper reports, on January 13th, I met Beth with this bossy blonde at Hollywood Boulevard and Highland Avenue. They were in a 1937 Ford sedan. The blonde kept insisting they drive off, and finally they did. She seemed jealous because Beth talked to me. The police were interested in finding the bossy blonde and were encouraged when a taxi cab driver, Charles Beckham, told a similar story. He reported he picked up a big blonde and a girl is, that he is certain is the Black Dahlia. According to newspaper articles, he drove the two girls to separate hotels in Hollywood. Another re- newspaper article reported that a Greyhound bus driver named Stagg recalled Beth boarding his bus in Riverside at 1 a.m. on January 14th. He said she got off in L.A. at 4.15 a.m. And then perhaps the last claim of seeing her was made by a policewoman. They're trained. Right. Merle McBride at a downtown L.A. bus station on January 14th. Newspaper articles quoted McBride as saying the young woman, whom she later identified as Elizabeth Short, was sobbing with terror when I first saw her. The officer said that Beth asked for protection from her, quote, Marine boyfriend who once threatened to kill me if he ever found me with another man. But that doesn't sound like no. her. The, this last statement is interesting because she had said that before, though. Mm. Now, this could, again, be mistaken identity. We know it happens all the time. Everybody sees the, you know, sightings all over the place. We know that happens a lot. But the policewoman is what interests me. She could have met him there or knew him from there because she, he had her trunk. And... Right. And the trunk and was remember, at the bus she, stop. Yep. And that her baggage had been checked into the bus or station she, was found there. Or she was scared. And someone saw her scared, a man, mm-hmm. picked her up, said, you can stay at my house, get yeah. your belongings. Well, so that's five days from when Red dropped her off. Hmm. So I'm going to give you my thoughts. Okay. And then we're actually going to finish up part three we're obviously tired, so we'll right, do this tomorrow right, morning. Right. But we're going to finish that off because I found an article that was very, very interesting. But I don't think for one second that this was a rage killing, mm-hmm. like Mm-mm. Sergeant Hansen said. I don't either. Or a crime of passion. Um, and, and the aspect of it being spur of the moment, right? I don't think that's what it was. Mm-mm. I think it was someone that was hunting for a victim. Um, you know, because we've said true crime far too long like it Mm -hmm. doesn't feel like a rage killing the glasgow smile the patches of skin removed and i kind of wondered if maybe they were like birthmarks or moles so that would be harder to identify her well that's true too but they left her fingerprints 
they may not have known she was arrested. Like if she had never been arrested, her oh, well, fingerprints wouldn't have been anywhere. But they didn't know she wasn't arrested either. I know, but to me, cutting the patches of skin out, I just, I, I wish I knew if she had birthmarks. Or maybe it was souvenirs. Speaking of, do I have a birthmark? You did. Where was it? Right here, back here I do somewhere. not have a birthmark. Shouldn't you, it still be everyone there? Everyone has one. I don't. Mine is not anywhere. I've had Mike look me up and down. That <laughs> I think it a used to weird. be. That was my husband. In case, you know, you guys it used to be right here. Because the only reason I remember is mine is the same place. Yeah. I, I'm, Mine's, I don't know if mine's still there either. Can't look back there. Anyway, I just thought that. Because everybody's, like, everybody's supposed to have a birthmark. Everyone has one. I don't know where mine is. Anyway. So I wondered if he removed the tattoo and all that just to, you know, keep the... I, you know, her from being ID'd. Or it could be souvenir. Yes. The scrubbing of the body, the posing, the orderly placing of the intestines under her buttocks to, you know, to pres- it. It's an idea that the killer was wanting to convey. He had something in his head that he wanted to display to all the world. Right. But I thought I, my first thought with the, with the, um, intestines underneath her butt that it was lifting her more up to humiliate her be. more it could be but because what else would you use them for to do that orderly oh well, that's he true wouldn't too. want the intestines mm-hmm. just hanging out so he tucked them mm-hmm. under her that's true now fbi profiler john douglas I'm mm-hmm. sure oh you yeah him. have you read his books no i've got I them want in my, to, my yeah, wish yeah. list for light reading <laughs> he's really amazing he makes some good points yeah. he thought um, it was an interesting question as far as her being posed where she was. He explained that the street where the body was dumped was a curious choice for the killer. Although the block had not yet been developed, there were houses nearby. In a half hour, the killer could have transported the body to the beach, the mountains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At another half hour, he could have reached the vast expanses of the California desert which I've been through there in Southern California. Like, you right. literally wonder if you're going to make it through right. alive. But instead, he left the body in a busy residential area. So even though it's undeveloped, like I showed you in the picture, the houses were very close. That just tells me he wanted her to be found. He did. Quickly. He said, someone is going to look out a window and see you. You're going to get your ass caught, he said. So Douglas speculated that the killer wanted to shock and horrify the horrify the mm-hmm, residents, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sending the message that Short was a slut. And I agree with him. I think he wanted to make her look like she was basically a whore. And she wasn't. No, she wasn't. I think he just wanted to humiliate her. The extreme humiliation. But here's what we're going to get into in part three. He said the killer had some connection to the neighborhood. Yeah, I wondered that myself. Wouldn't it be not fun, but if he lived in the one of the homes or well, there's actually very a unlikely connection suspect. to a person who lived there that knew Elizabeth Short because it's right there. Yep, and we'll get into it. Part but three. then on the other hand, if he lived in the area or in the houses, people would recognize him. I mean, that's a big risk to take a body, right? Right there it where is. you live. But that's what and people that play it. cat that and mouse takes, games do. That takes time. Yes, but that's what they do. But BTK, he did it at night. BTK went around with cereal boxes, thought that was a funny joke. 
You know what I mean? Like he had to, he put a lot of time in his mm-hmm. fantasies. Mm-hmm. This feels like a fantasy killing mm-hmm. to me. So, but we'll get into yeah, that Yeah, I wondered next that week. when you said the houses were so close, I was thinking, I wonder. Mm-hmm. There's someone that knew her uh-huh. in that neighborhood. Uh-huh. We'll or lived into there, it. yeah. I'm trying to end the podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, child. <laughs> Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? <laughs>